The Connected Hospital is a podcast that covers current topical news and trends about health IT, new technologies in the industry, and the challenges faced in today's fast-paced hospital and healthcare environment. This podcast is targeted for health IT leaders inside and outside of the hospital. Now for our host, John Mason, and today's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Connected Hospital podcast, a series where we talk about the current healthcare IT trends, uh, new technologies, and some of the challenges that we face in today's fast-paced healthcare environment. Uh, appreciate you joining us. And uh, today we're going to be talking to Zach Jiwa. And Zach is the CEO of, a, of an interoperability integration company called MI7. Uh, really interesting conversation. You'll, you'll like hearing from Zach. Uh, Zach has a variety of experiences, uh, not only in the hospital and the practice side of the world, uh, but he's actually worked in government, worked at HHS, uh, worked for the governor of Louisiana, and uh, has uh, has a really interesting perspective on interoperability and data exchange um, and, and some of the issues that we're facing today. And so we're going to get into that a little bit, have some conversation around uh, around what's caused it, uh, what we what he thinks are going to be things that w- will improve it, and and we really will spend a little bit of time talking about what MI7 is doing and how they're uh, how they're trying to solve this uh, this cumbersome problem that we all face. So, thanks for being here today. Uh, look forward to uh, this interview with Zach. For most consumers, the search for a healthcare provider is a frustrating maze of bewildering choices and unanswered questions. And they really want to hear what other patients have to say in order to make a decision with confidence. With Loyal's Empower Solution, you have the tools to do just that. Empower your patients, the patient, and provide a solution. Maximizing star ratings while introducing deeper insights into what patients really are saying about their experience. You could sort, approve, and publish patient reviews of physicians, services, and even practices using some of the intelligent features like auto-approval and syntax highlighting. To learn more, visit them online at loyalhealth.com. Let's welcome Zach Jiwa. Zach, thanks for being here today. Hey, good morning. Thank you, John. Oh, you bet. I'm glad you're here. So, um, you know, I probably didn't do justice introducing MI7. So tell me, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? And I'd also love to know a little bit about your background, you know, kind of how long have you been in this industry? What got your start? Uh, that type of thing. Well, sure. Why, why don't I introduce MI7 by introducing me and um, my path will probably inform the journey to, to MI7. Um, but uh, as you said, MI7, Austin-based digital health company, um, we're focused on uh, smoothing the path to interoperability or kind of get more specific um, EHR integration. We focus on the vendor space more so than the um, you know hospital, direct to hospital or physician practice. We're we're really that that player that is looking or, or helping, I guess, to think about how to agnostically integrate across, you know, a multitude of EHRs across, you know, physician practices and hospitals. So um, we're no good to, to sell to a CIO of a hospital like in, in your former role, but we are um, really great at uh, helping companies who, you know, perhaps provide a telehealth solution or trying to do analytics um, for a broad uh, array of hospitals and physician practices. But just, uh, you know, by way of, of introduction and my background, um, you asked how long, I think, uh, close to 20 years, um, maybe 19, I started in the, 
uh, ambulatory electronic health record space, or I guess technically it was a practice management space right. in the summer of, of 1999 before all the, the crashes and the dot-com you know, busts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I completely accidented into this industry. I was uh, struggling to find my way, got married early in life, and uh, which gave me purpose. And I ended up working for a practice management solutions company based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, and found my passion in healthcare. And, and, and that passion was driven kind of by curiosity. Why does it work this way? It just didn't seem natural. Of course, I was a, I don't know, 21 year old kid and (laughs) probably a lot of things didn't seem natural, but this one I could gravitate toward. Um, You know, the personal side of that story is I had a a father-in-law who was diagnosed with cancer and, you know, the, everybody I think can understand how you can gear your passion toward your life circumstance. And that happened to be mine at that point in time. And uh, so got into technology, got into, or I guess I was naturally in technology. I was a computer science major. Okay. Um, and, uh, so I was gravitating toward the technology side and had a life, you know, case where, uh, healthcare became my passion. Um, so, you know, I'll fast forward through the rest of it and we can talk about, you know, parts of it, however, however you like John, but, yeah. um, uh, I helped build a company. It was, it was ultimately a startup EHR company. Um, that company sold out in 2004 and I was kind of, I like to call myself the Zach of all trades, if you will, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> trying to use that every once in a while. That's good. Every once in a while, I got to throw it in. Right. So I was, I was doing everything from crawling underneath desks and plugging in computers to training nurses, how to, you know, use an EHR kind of playing product manager and really learned healthcare from the bottom up, I guess. Um, Literally, if you think about being underneath the desk of a nurse trying to figure out how to make things work. Um, Hey, we've got another podcast. We need you on the comedy channel. We're going to have to get you on there. (laughs) I've got plenty of material. Hey, if you've worked in healthcare for 20 years, you've got plenty of material for comedy channel. Uh, Certainly. So anyway, uh, that, that, um, that job parlayed into uh, chief information officer at Children's Hospital, uh, focused on the outpatient ambulatory groups here in Austin. So Children's Hospital of Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when we were talking about your past, of course, uh, St. David's HCA, I was on the other side sitting over at Seton. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, was recruited out of Austin to Seattle and went to work for Microsoft um, when they started their health solutions group uh, in 2008. So a lot of folks will be familiar or remember um, Health Vault and the team that led that. I was one of the first product managers on the kind of the B2B enterprise side of that, that portion of Microsoft. In 2010, um, I had the opportunity and was invited to serve at the pleasure of Governor Jindal in, in the state of Louisiana as the health IT coordinator and kind of double-timed as the chief technology officer for the Department of Health. And fast forward two years after that, uh, I had um, – here's how you get a job in politics. Uh, you speak up at a meeting. Um, but I, I think I spoke up at a CMS meeting in DC or, or Maryland or Bethesda. And, uh, soon after that, I was offered a role as an innovation fellow with HHS, uh, working kind of across white house, HHS and CMS on healthcare.gov. And so all of that has informed my career, both kind of grassroots EHR to, 
you know, larger scale hospital environment then to, you know, biggest vendor that, that you can imagine in healthcare and then into some, some political forays at state government and federal government. And uh, 2014, me and my family moved back to Austin, um, had some great intentions around uh, incubators and accelerators for health tech in Austin, really, uh, really wanted to see um, Austin shine as a uh, digital health mecca in the States. Of course, you know, Dell Med School being a huge part of of that interest and intrigue that a lot of people are seeing, but also, you know, Austin being a great entrepreneur city, a lot of technology, a lot of digital, um, just wanted to be back here in Austin after moving all over the country. It's a great place for technology. That's for sure. You know, it's, it's, uh, kind of the, the San Jose East, right? I mean, it's, uh, it is, it is really an incubator town for technology. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And so I did some consulting for a while and just had the, the, the fortune was blessed to, you know, run into people, um, some old faces, some, some new folks and, uh, the encouragement to, instead of kind of go down the incubator path was the best thing that we could do for Austin, Texas would be to build a great digital health company in Austin, Texas. And, um, and and so that's really the genesis of of at least my you know part in MI7 was uh, you know what are the problems of the day and how can we solve them um, you know I became very interested in my role while I was at uh, Children's Hospital um, of Austin you know back in the mid two thousands. Uh, you know, we can think about what happened during that time period. Well, 2005, 2006, we had Hurricane Katrina and Rita that everybody, you know, knows about and talked about. I actually served um, to some degree with the uh, advisory board for the governor on the state health IT um, uh, council or or, uh, report that was written at that period of time. And my interest was, you know, why aren't we doing a better job of, of, you know, moving data, sharing records, actually caring for people, right? And that's what struck my interest. And so I've kind of been doing this interoperability, HIE, how do we, you know, move data more efficiently, more effectively? What's the root of the problem issue um, for a long time? Well, so let's talk about that because, I mean, I think that is, that's really interesting, right? I mean, you mentioned something as as you kind of got started there that your focus isn't necessarily just integrating with a hospital CIO, but you're working with the vendors to help them uh, integrate. But but let's back up just a little bit. Why, why is you, you just kind of hit on it? Why is that still a problem today? I mean, what what is it that has kept us as an industry from solving this problem? Do you think? It, that's such a good question, and I, I feel like it's it's layered and steeped with, you know, politics and vendors and, you know, all all sorts of of different explanations. Um, I think at the core there, there are a lot of people making money um, by not integrating. If, if we take the, uh, this will be inflammatory, I'm sure, Um, (laughs) but let's get into it. Let's, (laughs) Uh, listen, in practical sense, if you're if you're a um, a good entrepreneur or entrepreneurial company, and your business is building an EHR system or you know some clinical data system, um, it does not serve you to be open. 
um, the the thing that you are uh, that you are building your fortress on is the you know the value of your EHR or your you know data warehouse or whatever it happens to to be your your practice management system. You don't want data to move in and out of that freely because that creates you know that creates room for disruption, room to replace you. Um, and and you know we've seen that a lot over the years. So with the lens of the vendor. Why would you want to make it easy for someone to traverse the data and get it out of there? But isn't, isn't that interesting? I mean, think think about what you just said, which is you're right. I, I totally agree. But um, think if automotive manufacturers had their own blend of fuel, right? <laughs> and so if you bought a an Audi, you had to go to an Audi gas station versus a, a regular. I, I think somehow you're right. There, there's some vested interest to to stay closed. But yet the data inside of that, um, there's nothing proprietary about that piece of it. So you should be building yourself around your ease of use and your functionality data data agnostic. But it seems like it just seems like that's still not there, right? Well, I, so I love your analogy. Uh, sometimes I hate the the automobile analogy, but in this case, I really like the. And in fact, I've never heard it put like you know, like that gasoline type of gasoline. Um, I've heard other analogies around the automotive industry. Um, here's what I think. Let's look to the future. And I think what we may be seeing in electric cars is exactly the same problem that we have with, with what I just described in the vendor space. Um, does the Tesla charger, yeah. Does the Tesla charger charge the Chevrolet? Does it charge the, that Audi electric car, the Mercedes or whatever? I don't know. I don't have the answer. And I don't spend a lot of time on that, but that's the better analogy to what we've seen versus, versus fuel versus gasoline as fuel. Now here's where it, it gets more complex, right? It's not just about the EHR vendor. It's about, okay, let's go to HCA, your old hospital. Let's go to any hospital physician practice. Um, you know, in public, I'm sure HCA says, oh, we want to enable data. I'm sure Seton says that. I'm sure that, you know, all the big hospitals say that. And that may be true in some circumstances. They certainly want to share that. Hey, have you ever thought about it, John? These guys, these hospital systems, physician practices don't have a problem if we define interoperability as a financial transaction, is there a problem there? Yeah, no, huh? There's not because they get paid that way and they've had to figure right. that out and they figured that out years ago, right? I, I mean, right. that brings up my old practice management days. If you need to get paid, guess what? The cash register, uh, it, it works pretty well. Um, but what happens when you start sharing data if you're a, if you're a health system? Um, I don't remember, I don't know if you were here um, and we're part of the conversation, but Austin has had uh, a health information exchange entity for a long time. Um, the, I was. I was on the board. The ICC, right? The Integrated ICC, Care right. Collaborative. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, so why doesn't HIE – we've got this tight little community in Austin. Um, you know, it's, it's perfect. It's, it's kind of this carve out. Why isn't uh, data exchange just prominent and prevalent? And why can't everybody just do what they want to? Yeah. Well, it's because you're going to see what my patients are doing. Right? That's right. It's it's competitive. Now we're talking about the competitive nature of crosstown um, um, rivalries. HCA, um, uh, Seton, and and now you know Scott and White, and let's bring the ambulatory care you know spaces ARC and ADC. This is a hyper competitive community, 
And I'm not going to share. I'm not going to share data with my crosstown rival if they can go market to them. And and the same exists for the the payer space for the for the health plan space, right? I'm not going to share my data because now someone's going to sweep in and and you know provide something better and pick up. So the competition. Listen, this is what makes America great, or part of what makes America great, right? Competition is supposed to breed innovation and it's supposed to breed better business models in this case. And this will bring up a whole new issue. You know, it'll, it'll entree into politics if we let it um, and, and government involvement in our, in our healthcare, but competition is great in most cases, but in the case of data exchange and interoperability, it is a, as big a force or a bigger force than the walled gardens of a technology vendor trying to um, maintain their landscape. You're right. I think you're right. In fact, I definitely don't want to get political because then nobody will start listening to us anymore. But, uh, but uh, that's that's right. But uh, but you're right. There There is a competitive piece of that. Hey, everybody. This is Reed Smith. And this is Chris Boyer. And we are co-hosts on a show called Touchpoint, which is a podcast that's dedicated to the discussions on digital marketing and online patient engagement strategies, not only for just hospitals, but health systems and physician practices. In every episode, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on digital tools, solutions, strategies, and other things that are impacting the healthcare industry today. And while you listen to this show, we would certainly love you to check out ours. All you have to do is swing on over to touchpoint.health for more information, and also some of the other shows that are featured on the Touchpoint Media Network. Well, what about, what about technically, though? I mean, as you say, I think each vendor... Um, many vendors set up in a way technically that they don't want to inter- interact or exchange with each other. But yet, you and I both know, I think that that data is pretty standardized. Is is that where an MI7 comes in as you guys are able to kind of uh, bridge that divide? Is, is that how you see it? Or is that the problem you're solving? I think it's a little bit different. So first of all, I would I'd probably disagree with the data being standardized. Um it's it's a, you're, you're right. More standardized, I should say, maybe than it used to be. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you. So, OK, let's think about the market here. There's fifty seven hundred hospitals. There are uh, the market of, you know, ambulatory care, behavioral health, you know, all all health care facilities. If we were just to clump them all together, something on the uh, ordinal of seven hundred thousand facilities. Yeah, it's it's a you're right. Okay. I, I know the hospital size for sure. There are over 800 just EHR vendors or vendor type tools, uh, EHR type tools. There's over 800. Um I think the last numbers that I looked at for meaningful use adoption of EHRs was somewhere around 65,000. Maybe that's gone up. That might be a 2-year-old number. So, the amalgamation of 800 vendors implementing 64,000 times across 700,000 potential entities. I know those numbers don't all work, but somehow there's, you know, at least, you know, double digit thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of implementations of, of, you know, triple digit number of EHRs. There's nothing Mm -hmm. standard about that. Even if all, even if all Epic systems were implemented the same, and the data standards the same wouldn't even pierce the the veil of how many different bastardizations of standards there are in the industry. Wow. 
You're right. So even in Epic, right? And Epic, part of the reason that these firms, Epic, Cerner, Meditech are, are um, successful is that they are customizable, right? Which then drives the lack of standardization too, I think. Yeah. So, so take that, take that description of the market and, and kind of the, the challenge that you see. And now try to do something really critical in this space, like clinical trials, um, or, you know, less, less critical, but, but, you know, more prominent, certainly getting all the news headlines this week is, is telehealth with some of the payment, uh, reform stuff that we're hearing out of, out of DC. Um, how do you find the needle in the haystack of that mess? How do you find that patient that meets the parameters for the clinical trial that, you know, you're trying to, to, uh, you know, bring patients into that's, that's, nearly impossible. So, you know, from our perspective, from the MI7 worldview, it's we need to create a scalable pathway to integrating into any EHR. And our approach is standard methodology, standard, you know, data sta- standard methodology meets uh, data standards meets, um, you know, meets agnosticism to the source because here's what we've given up on. And I think the industry should give up on quite frankly, I think we should stop trying to make every EHR look the same. Uh, be careful. I, I, I don't think we're going to get there. Maybe we shouldn't give up on it. Um, you know, the, even the evolution of fire from the last five years is, is non-standard. So let's take what you've got. And this is really the MI seven perspective. Give me what you've got. If it's a database full of data, just give me the database, you know, give me a service account and the schema. And so tell me where the data is and I'll go get it and figure it out and help the client. Um, if it's HL7, great. HL7 V2, fairly limited, but it's, you know, as good of a standard as, quite frankly, it's, it's the best standard that we have, which is almost sad to say, but it is the best standard that we have today, um, primarily because it's the most widely adopted standard that we have and we all understand it and we know how to deal with it. Give me that if you've got it. Um, and, and we're not even talking about network protocols. If you're Athena or Dr. Chrono or maybe even all scripts, you've got a, a an API, which is even more limited than HL7 in some cases, but at least it's discrete data calls that, uh, you know, and it's restful and I can make a call and have some degree of certainty that I'm going to get data out of it. Um, those are, those are all fine. And our perspective is give me what you got and I will standardize it for the client that I'm working with. And so, uh, you know, I'm taking out the labor and the engineering cost equation for a vendor. Maybe it's a clinical trials, you know, vendor, maybe it's an analytics company. Maybe it's just, I want to do a scheduling widget on a website. You know, we've, we've worked in a very large vendor who would be out of the Pacific Northwest that has a scheduling tool on their website. How do you think that works? We, you've got to integrate with the EHR somehow. And if you want it to be um, pervasive across all physician practices, you've got to accept to some degree what's out there and make it work. And so that's what we've been doing. Okay. So, and that's interesting. So I'm, I'm trying to put myself back in my CIO seat. Do I work with you or do I demand that vendors that I want to work with work with you? Who, who, who's your client in that particular case? 
Hey, that's a really great question. Um, you work with, if you're the CIO, you work with me passively, meaning you don't know that you're working with me because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the hired gun for the actual vendor that you're, that you're working with to make whatever, okay. you know, let's just call it telehealth because that seems to be the, the biggest buzz right now, right? If you want to do a virtual care system, um, even if it's, even if it's uh, HCA branded, right? You're probably hiring a vendor who does telehealth and can enable that. And that vendor is hiring us to make sure that the data flows. Okay. All right. So, and that's, that's kind of what I suspected in talking to you. So that, so that's, that's good. And so do you, I guess in that seat, the folks that are listening are going to go, okay, so is this just more cost? But the reality is, it sounds like I know from, from my days, the costs of interfacing every time a new app, a new capability came up, got pretty extraordinary. In some ways, it sounds like what you would actually do is drive that cost parameter down. Um, because now I'm not having to necessarily worry about X vendor telling me, well, I've now got to charge you this certain fee for integration every time. Is, 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 that, is that right? Yes. So, you know, the key, the, the key words that we use, uh, and we're not afraid of them, we're on a mission to commoditize and democratize integration. So mm-hmm. what 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 do those two words mean? What's a commodity, right? Something that's traded at a market value and it's driven down, right? We we have this context of commodities being driven down in cost. Um, until it's a commodity, we're going to keep paying 30,000 or $40,000 per interface. We're mm-hmm. we're commoditizing it um, in in two parts. One by providing a standard software as a service model, um, in and two by thinking about it as a low monthly cost per month, right? Which is part of right. transforming the business model problem. And then democratization. Once I have a client who has interfaced with um, the Epic at H, uh, HCA, I don't even know if HCA has Epic. I'll just assume that they do for now. Um, um, now we have a model that works and the next, you know, vendor that walks into HCA, if they are working with us, they've got a streamlined path because we've already solved that problem. Um, we do it, so it goes- we do it at two tier level, right? Once we've got a module for Epic, we've got a module for Epic that's going to work across all Epic implementations. But, you know, there's the specificity of your internal perspective of, oh yeah, we know how to do that and that works this way and we can do it over and over and over again. So commoditize and democratize, making it available for all, anybody to do it cheaply or affordably and in a repeatable process, which enables scale in the market. Right. So I've got uh, on your website, you have this great video that kind of talks about what you do. And I, at the very beginning, it says, if you've seen one EHR interface, you've seen one EHR interface, you guys are starting to break that paradigm, which I think is that is a positive note for folks who are listening because it, it, that is, that's, it's a drain when you constantly think about another interface, another interface, and, and who's going to help us figure this out. Uh, I think that's great. So do you, see this, do you see this expanding in healthcare? I mean, do you think this is kind of the way it's going, the, the, the way it's heading? Well, listen, we're providing a service to, um, to vendors who have to solve this problem in, in order to survive and survive. And we're, we're watching this kind of play out in the landscape. What, what made this a relevant business to jump into and try to solve for is really the, um, you know, ginormous investment in digital health, uh, over the last eight years. I mean, there was $36 billion um, attributed to meaningful use. There was another $38 billion 
just in venture capital and private equity put into, yeah. you know, digital health companies, startups, and, and even mature companies out there. So it's not just one, a one-sided deal. There was more money put into, you know, innovation and, and innovative companies trying to, you know, do various things in the market. And that's what we, that's what we clung onto. And, you know, here's the answer to your question. Without something like MI7, without, without kind of commoditizing this space, none of them are going to survive or, or very few are going to survive. We actually, we actually built our model whenever we thought about, you know, the marketing model, we, we built it on the idea that, you know, fewer than 5% of those companies would survive in the first place. But, you know, how do you become a commodity as you, you know, you go out and you attach to, um, you, you help as many people as you can, as fast as you can. And so, yeah, I think so. You know, I've often said, um, my goal for this company is to make interoperability obsolete. And that really puts people back on their heels. And I, I you know, I, I go back to 2014. Um, I was in Chicago for Hims. I, I won't forget it. I know exactly where I was. I can even visualize the floor plan of the Hims exhibit hall because um, for about the 10th time in my career, I had walked the, the halls of Hims and I saw vendors promoting and touting interoperability. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be a great thing if I could walk the halls of hymns and never see the word interoperability again, because we had solved it. Right. Right. And so whenever I, whenever I say I want to abolish interoperability, it's not that I'm, uh, I, that I'm against interoperability. I just think we should stop talking about it. I think it should be done. It should, it- be a done issue, a dead issue. That's right. It should be a dead issue. And you know what? If someone else comes and does it and puts me out of a job at MI7, God bless them. I I want to stop talking about interoperability. And that's ultimately why we started MI7. Well, that's great. Well, Zach, you know, we could we could go on for a long time on this. And um, this is a hot topic. It's a it's an issue uh, across the industry. And I've really, uh, I really appreciate your insight. You know, you've got a great background and you've seen it at all levels of an organization from government down to the individual practice. So I think it, it really, you, you bring quite a, quite a new view to it that a lot of us don't have. Um, I have really appreciated you being on today. Um, will you come back? Oh, I, uh, I'd be happy to, John. I, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and, and welcoming me. Oh, you bet. Well, Zach, uh, thanks again, uh, everyone. Zach Jiwa from the CEO of MI7. And I uh, just want to thank you, Zach, for your time today and, and uh, appreciate you being here. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. This show is made possible in part by the Social Health Institute. Through research and partnerships with healthcare organizations around the country, the Social Health Institute explores new and innovative ways for hospitals, healthcare organizations to develop and enhance their social media and digital marketing strategy. To learn more about the Social Health Institute, visit them online at socialhealthinstitute.com. That's socialhealthinstitute.com. I hope you'll continue to come back, rate the program, review it, uh, let folks know about it, and and uh, we'll bring you some great, uh, great conversations. And if you have some things you want to hear in particular, let us know and we'll be happy to, uh, to try to get those guests or get those particular topics on board. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.